Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining me today on Brand Story Inc. are Jesse Menendez and Jennifer Mercedes of La Vida Baseball. La Vida Baseball is the leading multi-platform content creation hub connecting the Latino baseball community and the players Latinos love. It reaches more than 11 million fans per month and focuses on the human interest stories at the intersection of Latino culture and baseball. Jesse and Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Jay, thank you so much for having us. That intro, Jay, it's almost like you have inside knowledge as to what La Vida Baseball is. <laughs> nice <laughs> tee up. That is awesome. Because Jesse Menendez is the managing director. Jennifer Mercedes is the host and producer and face of La Vida Baseball. And in full disclosure, yours truly is the owner and CEO of La Vida Baseball. So thanks for uh, calling that out. We want to be full disclosure here. But uh, let's have some fun, guys. I think... Uh, this is airing right uh, as the regular season is winding down, an, an atypical regular season, and we're about to turn the corner into uh, the postseason, uh, which coincidentally uh, goes in line with Hispanic Heritage Month. So it just seemed like the opportune time to talk about La Vida Baseball, the media publisher. Well, let's start with yourselves. Tell us about yourselves, uh, Jesse and Jennifer. What are your roles at La Vida Baseball, and what drew you to this company? Jennifer, we'll start Ladies with you. first. With Jesse or Jennifer, you said? I'm sorry. Jennifer, we'll start with you. Okay. Okay, dokie. Uh, so, yeah. So, just like Jay said, I am host and producer at La Vida Baseball, wearing multiple hats, particularly during this pandemic. Um, you know, from content creation to scheduling interviews and hosting La Vida Baseball Live. Awesome. Jesse. Yeah. Uh, I have the honor of working with Jennifer on a day-to-day basis and obviously Jay yourself and an incredibly talented group of individuals at La Vida who are interested in promoting this idea that um, baseball can be used as a tool for um, greater conversations, not suggesting that baseball conversations aren't great, but when we're talking about the Latino community, uh, there's so much, uh, so many other things to be talked about and I think La Vida Baseball um, exists as a way to sort of amplify those narratives uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I help out in making sure that we achieve our goal of making sure that La Vida Baseball is a platform for the Latino players, but also the Latino community and all the conversations that exist within that community. So I want to go to you in a second here, Jennifer. Uh, La Vida launched in March of 2017, as you guys know. It was a finalist uh, for Digiday's prestigious Best New Brand Award in 2018. It has a lot of partnerships with companies like Minute Media, which owns the Players' Tribune, Turner Sports, Minor League Baseball, a host of other folks. Um, so it's a, it's a new company, right? And it's it's still startup-y in many ways, but it's, it's built a really nice brand. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but never on air. Uh, Jennifer, what drew you to come to this company? Well, prior to to joining La Vida, I hosted my own show called La Chica de Deportes, which is where my my AKA comes from. And when I was doing my own stuff, I was basically doing the same thing, um, similar to what I do now with La Vida. And I just get to do it on a bigger platform. What we do at La Vida, tell the stories of the Latino players and allowing them to have that platform, I've, I've always felt is always 
been very important um, and even more so now, particularly in the climate that we're living in. But when I, I saw the opportunity for La Vida, I felt it was just going, I, I myself was going to add to, to La Vida, but I also felt that La Vida was going to be able to add to, to my growth within the industry. Cool. Jesse, what about you? What, what was the draw for you? Yeah, you know, before uh, La Vida, my work in media had to do with increasing audiences and different demographics in public radio. And so I think one of the things that really struck me about La Vida Baseball is that it was interested in making some of the inroads, the same inroads. And what I mean by that is making sports, the sports medium, accessible to more individuals through baseball, um, particularly Latino demographics, but English preferred Latino demographics, which mm -hmm. I thought was huge mm -hmm. because up until this point, we're so used to thinking about um, languages as black and white. Spanish is for Spanish language audience. English is for English language audience. Hispanics speak Spanish. That Therefore, content can only be in their language. And I think the idea that La Vida Baseball presented the notion that we were going to cater to everybody um, was really incredible to me because I think up until this point, we really hadn't considered the fact that there is a such thing as an English preferred Latino audience, which is silly when you think about the United States and how the demographics break out and, you know, generational um, culture. We're, we're all here and we all consume in many different ways. And so for me, I think the idea that La Vida Baseball was um, introducing what it was doing to a wide variety of individuals was really enticing to me. Well, it's interesting you say that, and, and we'll get into the demographics in a second here, but I think I've shared this both with you guys before because we've talked about the language thing quite a bit. I remember when um, we started this company back and in, in, before we started in, in 2017, so late 2016, it was kind of on the drawing board, and I went and I met and talked with executives at both ESPN and Fox and I, because I just was looking at all the research and it was saying, you know, if you had to pick uh, one language, start with English. And, and I think we'll talk about language because I think a lot of non-Latinos, right, just kind of associate Latino with Spanish. And I asked a very simple question. I said, if you had to pick one language to start with, Fox and ESPN, and you were doing this, what, would you, what language would you choose? And they both instantly um, said English. And I was like, wow, okay. Then why is your content that goes toward the Latino audience in Spanish. And it was interesting because they said their companies were just so big that it was like they send out a satellite signal. It goes to Latin America. Just the company was so, it almost made it easier for them to just kind of segment that. And you realize that was part of the birth of why I think we decided to do this was the fact that there were not, there was not a baseball platform out there serving a, a Latino audience in the United States that had English preferred. And so uh, it, was, it was kind of an interesting experiment for me. But um, I want to turn over to you guys now because you've been here and you guys are, it's been such a joy to be able to have multicultural conversations with you guys on topics like this with you. I've learned a ton from you. Um, La Vida Baseball, as you well know, it resides within a content studio or agency known team, known as Teamworks Media. So it's a it's a mix of Latino and non-Latino creatives, producers, etc. Um, tell us about how the content sausage is made. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the number and types of different live shows and non-live shows that you have. So paint a picture for the type of content that you guys are creating on a daily basis. Well, I'll start. And when we're not doing our live shows, which 
before when we when we actually started, we were on a daily basis, and we were just we had to cut down uh, down Mondays and and Wednesdays on a daily basis for myself. I, I'm I'm pretty much in charge of our Instagram channel, and it's it's a lot of work. You wouldn't think so, and I I didn't know how much work social media was until I really got started with with us, but. You start off just looking for the content online, what makes sense, what's going to generate with with audiences, what's going to generate more engagement and all of those things. And then you got to look at, for instance, if it's a player highlight, you got to know, well, even if it's a good highlight, does our fan base really follow this particular player? Is he a fan favorite? Because sometimes you'll see a really cool play, but even when we post it, Ah, may not generate that much um, engagement. And so those are kind of some of the things that you have to pay attention to. So that takes uh, some of the time. And then we have our own original content that we like to, to, to use and post and share with the audience. Uh, And that's another level of, okay, who are we reaching out to? Some of our original content are the interviews that we set up Uh, during the pandemic, during the beginning of this pandemic. uh, We did a lot of Instagram lives. So that was that took up a lot of our, our content creation with players. And then you, you got to cut them up, make them smaller, smaller packages, post those on on the grid, post them on Twitter, post them on Facebook um, and a lot of research. You got to do you got to do the research when when you're doing the content creation. Absolutely. You know, um, to Jen's point, I think the pandemic really showed us. Um, what it's all about to be part of a community, in this case, an online community. It's like being invited to a weekly potluck. You show up with pie and you get there. And it turns out not only do the guests not really eat pie, but everybody brought chili. You learn really fast what everybody is consuming. Mm-hmm. And then you, you decide right then and there, do I want to be embraced by this community? Or am I going to continue to force pie down their throat until they like it? Mm-hmm. The reality is you get to sample this community by being part of it. Uh, what Jen described is what it takes to create content in this day and age. You got to be abreast of what's happening. You got to be willing to change. You got to be flexible. We did that with what Jen's talking about. We pivoted with the live shows because we understood that what was happening was this revolution online. The pandemic caused users themselves to take media into their own hands and start creating content that they wanted to see and that they wanted to share. Mm -hmm. So media outlets like ourselves caught on to what was happening, um, jumped on the board in a way I don't think many folks are used to doing to be part of what was taking place. And because of that, I think, you know, we really showed our audience that we were absolutely a part of what was taking place and in turn that that made us um, a little more accessible to what was taking place um you know being part of that potluck every week now is i think what keeps us afloat in a way that makes us um a really valuable part of this community people come to us now because they understand the content that we're creating and sharing is exactly what is up their alley it's what they want you know it's a secret santa in that we are gifting this to the world but it's a secret <laughs> Santa with uh, with knowledge of what the kids actually want for Christmas. You know, <laughs> we, we, we've, we've seen what they want. And so the, the gift comes with that caveat. Oh, I've we never heard you want. use that one, Jesse. That's a, that's a new <laughs> one. I like that. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. We're not we're not into giving gifts that people don't want. I mean, I think. Yeah. You- and, I, and I would agree. And, and to Jesse's point, as far as us um, in 
you know, knowing what our audience wants and you don't always know, right, what the audience wants. But once this pandemic began and, and we began to really dig in on on what gets engagement, what fans even ask for, because we've we've began to do surveys and, and asking the fans, you know, what they want. And a lot of what they want was already stuff that we were already doing, which was great. It was, it's so good to know that we're on the right page and on the right path. But I also think that being who we are and where we come from, our messaging is always authentic. We're not trying to guess mm-hmm. when it comes to the content that we create. We're not trying to figure out like, well, would this maybe no? Like we know because we live it. We live the culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, before you guys were here, there were some stories where we, we would go down that road and it was just, it was a little potluck because you're looking at the analytics. And I remember we had, I think one of the things you guys always talk about is this this brand is not about the stats and facts, right? If you're into that, we know you're going to your team blog or MLB or ESPN or whatever, but this is about the human interest stories and the culture, that intersection of culture and Latino. And I remember it was just, it was fascinating to see the different things that would um, that would kind of pop, right? And it could be just subtle cultural nuances, right? Like um, that that with certain demographics would pop. And then others that were just kind of this universal, like there was a story that we did on the um, the barber, uh, the Miami Marlins, right? Juice the barber, Juice. right? Mm-hmm. Who had his own barber shop. Uh, he had a great kind of second shot at life story and he became like the barber to so many stars and just the the universal stories just carried and that those transcend. So a lot of the stories are not just, you know, you don't have to be Latino to be a Javi Baez fan. That's the interesting dynamic here, I think, too, right? Even while it's for Latinos, there's an element of a universal appeal for the type of content that you guys are creating. And so I'm curious as we talk about that, when you dream about what La Vida baseball will be from a vision perspective, I'd love to hear what you see three, five years from now. Well, I think that we are the place where not only players but fans will come to, and and they are coming to, right? We are that place for the Latino ball player uh, to share their stories, mm-hmm. and I think little by little we've done that, and we've we've been very successful at it. It's one of the reasons why we had upwards of thirty Instagram live interviews throughout the the beginning of this pandemic, and this was you know generated by just reaching out to the players directly and them being at home, not doing anything and saying, yeah, I <laughs> and I want to talk and let's talk about what's going on. And, and let me show you how I work out and, and what I've, what I've been doing. And I think that little by little, we've, we've done the work that we've needed to do to get there. And I, I really do believe that we're, we're almost there. We are that place. And it doesn't matter. There, there are other networks, that have a small portion that caters to the Latino fan, but none like us and none of them do what we do and is focused on the stories. Well, I think one yeah. thing, Jesse, I want to go here. I want to kind of tee you up on this because I think one thing that I've heard you guys talk about and we hear in the meetings, right? If there's one thing that Levita has done better than anybody out there, it's really connect with authentically it starts with the players and the relationships right like without them and you don't get access to their stories and i'd love for you guys to kind of share how as a startup um you're able to build so many relationships with major league players and people beyond players teams influencers in the space of baseball 
how you do it and and what it's translated into content. And then, you know, Jennifer, maybe you can fill in with a couple of case studies that you, you mentioned during the pandemic, you were able to get 30 plus people, I think in April, right? On, on Instagram mm-hmm. Live. So, so talk about the brand building with the players and how you did that. Well, a lot of it comes from my past relationships um, with the players just from, from when I began my own career and being able to to start those relationships in, in my initial stages with my career um, and really always focusing on allowing a player to tell their story, particularly the Latino player to tell their story, because in many instances, uh, sometimes I would be the only one mm-hmm. who, who speaks Spanish and I would get players to be like, oh, my God, finally, somebody who speaks <laughs> Spanish. Mm-hmm. Somebody who can talk to me in Spanish, somebody who can speak their language. Mm-hmm. And even if a player speaks English and if even if we do the interview in English, there are many times when, you know, either they're struggling for a thought because even myself, I, I'm fluent in both languages. There are things that you just think in Spanish, like we just think it in Spanish and you want to say it. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, come on, you know, say it, speak it. <laughs> so there's that level of trust that you that you begin to create with with the players. And that's then translated into La Vida. And I can't tell you the number of players that once I started working with La Vida were extremely happy and, and happy for, for for my success and my growth with working with with um, with this platform because they knew and they know what it means. So a lot of us kind of come from the same place and we've shared similar stories because of where we come from and our growth has been kind of simultaneously like it's, it's happened at the same time whether mm-hmm. it's them from the minors going on up and myself kind of being in my own minor league and and now being in the major leagues mm-hmm. so we relate and when you're relatable to somebody creating those those relationships and allowing them to to just to know that what we do with their story is never going to be with bad or ill ill will or bad mm-hmm. intention And, you know, another thing that Jen is incredible at is allowing for that trust to build naturally. Yes, immediately their guard is let down because of the shared experiences. But the fact of the matter is, think about who these athletes are and the type of questions that they get asked and the type of treatment that they get day in and day out. How was it to hit that home run? Mm -hmm. How was it to steal that base? Mm -hmm. What is it like being rich and famous? Sometimes I think what we do is as simple as allowing these players to be an individual, talking about the food that they like to eat, the food that they miss, what mm-hmm. it's like being in the United States. How is it missing the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or wherever they may be from? And I think there's an appreciation for the fact that we treat them like a human being with thoughts, emotions, and uh, that's what we're interested in getting at. We're We're, we're hoping that they're able to share their personal experiences and stories in a way that I don't think they get to very often. And uh, Jen, you know, more than anybody, I think does an incredible job of getting at those stories and allowing the player to feel like this really is a safe space. We're not trying to make them look silly by speaking broken English and mm-hmm. hoping yeah. that they come up with an articulate answer. No, this is too, uh, you know, country folk talking to each other about things that they both know and love. And, and I think that is a huge part of why we have these relationships. Jen will interview, let's just say Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. Robinson Cano sees that interview and sees just how excited Albert Pujols is to talk about where he's from and, and the time that he, he, he shares with Jen. 
is infectious. Other players see that, they then want to be a part of it. It's bigger than just creating content. Well, I think yeah. this is where you guys can really help, right? I mean, I'm as you well know, I'm I'm not Latino. I'm white. I'm 47 years old, and this has been uh, an incredible learning experience um, in diversity and culture for me um, in this journey of, of starting and, and, and being connected with you on La Vida Baseball. But you guys know kind of my hot buttons too. And so nearly one in five Americans are Latino, yet it feels as though when you talk to the advertising community, the perception in the United States is that the Latino demographic is either too small to invest heavily in or that there's this Spanish language thing that's a differentiator that makes it more complicated too. I mean, there are 60 one million Latinos in the United States. So I'm curious to get your take on why you think we don't see more targeted advertising and sponsorship in the mainstream, considering how important the Latino demographic is in the U.S. I think if I may take this one, um, you know, there are a lot of things at play, Jay. If you think about how long it took for a La Vida baseball to come into existence, uh, now extrapolate that across all the media companies, the CEOs and board members and who they may be. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that we're now just finally reaching um, a time where those positions are becoming available to more individuals who even think along those lines. Mm-hmm. Up until now, you have somebody saying, okay, we need to market to the Latino audience. Let's throw out an ad in Spanish talking about tacos and tequila. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's not as new, we know that it's not as black and white as that. Our people are not a monolith. It's incredibly nuanced. Case in point, um, not to speak ill of anybody, and I don't think this is anything except an observation. Major League Baseball now has had a number of players come up to them asking that they also be allowed to wear the number 21 on Roberto Clemente Day. Up until now, it was just the Pirates, and they offered Puerto Rican players Mm -hmm. the option of doing that. And what does that tell you? They're thinking that only Puerto Ricans care about Roberto Clemente. And what that tells you is that there's not an understanding of our cultural references and what we hold important. And so I I think, Jay, what, what, what you're seeing is now those people are finally starting to to put people in positions, not they're not coming up with the solutions themselves. They're finally trusting mm-hmm. people in those positions to help find the individuals who have that cultural collateral. The Gen Mercedes of the world are now in positions where they have the editorial lens to do it in a way that's respectful and authentic. That's why we're starting to see it finally, but still not in, in the frequency that needs to happen. Mm. Yeah, and and just to kind of um, to add on to what you just said, Jesse. I mean, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had uh, within just last night when the news came out that um, Major League Baseball was going to allow Puerto Rican players to to wear number 21. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, how can you get it so wrong mm-hmm. uh, having the opportunity to, to do something so great? Uh, and it's it's like it seems like so so easy, right? Like it just seems like a duh. Well, then let's just let's just allow everyone or whoever wants to to wear it because Roberto Clemente's legacy is not just because he was from Puerto Rico, and it's not because he only had Puerto Rican fans. I mean, it it is literally everyone who is a baseball fan, pretty much everyone who is a true baseball fan knows who Roberto Clemente is. And he, he inspired so many of these athletes uh, that aren't just from Puerto Rico. I mean, you've got uh, U.S. American born, you know, in the mainland who are fans and you've got, you've got Dominican, Venezuelan, Colombians, 
the list goes on and on of those who who follow Clemente's career. And for them to not see that was like, wow, you still don't get it. And that tells me that they just don't have the right people in their offices making those decisions. And, and you know, and it's not to criticize but or say we are better than, but we do. Well, here's we, a, here's the good news, right? So this yeah. this podcast is is airing a week after Clemente Day, and I think in the next day or two from the airing, Jennifer is going to be speaking to staff at Major League Baseball on some of these topics. So, uh, but it is amazing, right? Like I think if you think about it, can you imagine the headline news that if Major League Baseball came out and basically said, you know what, we're going to let um, black players wear Jackie Robinson's number now? Like as if a white player wouldn't want or a Latino like it, it'd be crazy, right? It's, but I, I think this is one of my favorite conversations that I have with you guys because I'm sometimes I'm sometimes surprised by this, um, and other times uh, I'm not. But the, the nuances within the term Latino in the in the whole marketplace, right? There are vast mm-hmm. differences between a Mexican versus a Venezuelan or a Dominican or a Puerto Rican, and yet. There is this bond, right? And I think what you're getting at that there's this umbrella Latino connection that somebody like Clemente cuts through where it's like, it's not he's Puerto Rican, it's he's Latino, right? And it kind of unites. And so share, you know, part of what we're doing here is helping other content studio executives and brands understand um, the nuance. And I think this is a great opportunity for you guys to kind of share how, how do you guys think about this when you're creating content and targeting fans? What are the challenges and opportunities of, of the ethnic differences within the Latino umbrella? You know, I don't see it so much as a challenge while I totally understand and respect the nuance between, between uh, our brethren. Um, I see it more as an opportunity to fully explore Uh, and create content that is specific to a lot of these communities in ways that I don't think we get to very often. So Mm -hmm. I I do think that there is an umbrella commonality that Latinos, uh, Hispanics, Mexicans, whatever the um, uh, appropriate term is in 2020. And I only say that with respects to many different ways that people identify Latinx. uh, Mm -hmm. I I see it as a way to explore these things. It's, It's a learning experience for someone like myself too. I'm Mexican. Uh, I'm, I'm second generation. And so if I were to say that I know everything there is to know about what it's like to be Cuban or Dominican or Venezuelan, I'd be lying because, uh, you know, that is something that only somebody who has that lived experience would fully understand. So it's, it's about trying to do it in a way that's as culturally sensitive and authentic as we possibly can. And the way that looks is I'm not going to write a piece about what it's like to be Venezuelan, I'll ask Ozzy Guillen, who is Venezuelan, to mm-hmm. write that piece. Therefore, it comes from the authoritative perspective. If I'm going to, if we're going to create content about what it's like to be Cuban, well then, La Vida Baseball is going to go out and find somebody who is from Cuba to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the list goes on and on. It's not about um, trying to put yourself in those shoes to create the content so much as it's finding the right people to get the story out in a way that it needs to be told. And and I think that's what we do at La Vida Baseball, understanding that these nuances are incredibly complex and it's not our job to try to become experts in them so much as it is our job to serve as a conduit and allow our platform to be the mouthpiece for these individuals to tell the story in the way that they believe it should be told. Also, I would also say that, and, and echoing, Jay, what you were saying as far as 
the the larger Latino umbrella. Uh, the fans, the, the Latino fans, Hispanic fans, that yes, they root for their own country, and, and yes, the, the Dominicans will, will root for the Dominicans, uh, Puerto Rico will, will root for Puerto Rico, etc. But there's an opportunity for one to be showcased, doesn't matter where they're from, as long as they're Latino, all there's a collective that will support that individual. And, and I've seen that across all different types of industries. I mean, you can talk Dancing with the Stars. If there's a Latino on Dancing with the Stars, we're all voting. And that's who we are as a yeah. people because we don't get highlighted as much, you know, on, on a bigger scale that when we do see that we want to support it. And I, I think that it's unfortunate that other industries, brands uh, haven't yet gotten where we are kind of, as far as knowing how important the Latino audience is and how invested they are in their people. I think that slowly but surely people will get to that point of understanding that about the, the Latino audience, but, it's what makes us so dynamic. It's that we just we don't only root for our individual selves, but yep. we do as a collective. If you're Latino, okay, you're family. Doesn't matter yep. where you're from, but you're automatically family. Well, I think that's a perfect example. And I used to use um, I'm older, a lot older than you guys, and I grew up in the Northeast, so I used to use like Yankees, Red Sox, and and Pedro Martinez examples. But I'll use a Chicago Cubs in a, in a current one. But it's like for an advertiser, right? If they don't understand this, like there's that notion of if you were marketing to um, Hispanics, right? Uh, or Puerto Ricans specifically, right? And and you're like, okay, we're going to do something around the Cubs Cardinals and we're going to tap into the hatred of the Cubs in St. Louis. Well, guess what? If you're in St. Louis and you're Puerto Rican, there's a pretty good chance you hold Javi Baez, even though he's on the Cubs, in really high regard, right? It's not like, mm -hmm. oh, I hate him, he's a Cub. There's an element of like, oh, he's he's one of ours, to your point. And that's, I think, a perfect example because sports are cliched and use these rivalries and inherent hatreds. But to what you're just saying there, there's this respect and admiration even for like somebody who's on an arch enemy team, which I think is pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, next topic, Latinx. I read in uh, Pew Research, August of 2020, only 3% of Latinos or Hispanics use the term Latinx, yet you're seeing it used quite a bit in trade magazines and, and, and everywhere, quite candidly. What's your take on this relatively new gender-neutral demographic word? I think um, this, is a, this is a great topic. It's, it's funny that you know baseball is supposed to be baseball. There's no, no social justice in baseball prior to 2020 shut up and dribble shut up and swing somebody actually asked us this question on our twitter somebody's like hey la vida baseball what's up with this term latinx mm -hmm. and uh and i thought it was it was a really great opportunity to kind of have a conversation with our audience my my take on it is uh, i mean it's it's varied it, it, it takes on a lot of perspectives. So first and foremost, I think it was necessary to have an inclusive term. Um, uh, Spanish is very masculine. Mm -hmm. It, 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 uh, it kind of takes ownership with the way we have uh, our words, you know, A's and, and E's and O's, you know, it's yep. possessive. So I do believe that this was a pushback against the very masculine connotations that the Spanish language has. And we're not all Latino. 
you know, mm-hmm. but Jen would still get categorized as Latino, mm-hmm. but she's a Latina. And then there are the gender neutral individuals who want to feel included in the conversations around the community, but still don't identify as Latino or Latina. So Latinx is born out of necessity. What I will say is, is for as many people who believe that Latinx is, is, um, is a step in the right direction, there are, um, there are a few who believe that it is an erasure of our own history. Mm. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't represent the Frida Kalos of of the world who fought very diligently to be identified as Latina mm-hmm. during a time when everything was Latino. Okay. And so, so it's um it's a wonderful term, but I do think, you know, we're still very early on in the stages, and I imagine that we're going to evolve in our understanding and usage of it. But for now, I do believe that it is a well-intentioned step in the right direction. Yeah, agree. I, I really don't even have anything to add to that, Jesse. You worded it perfectly. Great. Well, so let's stay here because, we'll, we'll, again, I think there's a lot of people learning a lot um, that are listening right now. I want to dig in on English versus Spanish. We kind of glossed over this. Um, we have several live shows. You have La Vida Baseball Live. We have Bian Guillen, which is with Ozzy Guillen Sr. and his three sons, which is hilarious. Uh, we've got the PVD show, which is in Spanish. We've got all kinds of different live shows. Um, majority of content's in English. Um, some, right? It's probably like, I don't know, 80, 20 English, Spanish. What's your take for content creators and brands trying to engage with uh, today's Latino or Latinx consumer? How do you approach language with La Vida Baseball? Well, I think, uh, like I said in the beginning, knowing who the audience is and what they respond to is key. So if, let's say, if I want to post something uh, in Spanish, okay, do I think that they are going to, that this resonates in Spanish Mm -hmm. or does this resonate more in English? Now, with that being said, I think here in the, particularly in the, in the U.S., there's a lot of us that we're bilingual and we speak bilingual and we read bilingual. So even when we're on social media, we engage with language that feels the most relatable to us. So mm-hmm. there are times when I'll post things in Spanglish and mm-hmm. there are times when I will post them strictly in Spanish. And then there are times when I'll post them strictly in English or with a, with a Spanish translation. And I just think that's, who we are as as Latinos and as as Latin Americans living in the U.S. is that we can go from English to Spanish within seconds, not even realize that we're doing it, and just continue on in our conversations. And that's how I think I look, at least I do, yeah. with social media. I mean, and even, for instance, with brands and companies, uh, advertisers on English-speaking networks, when I see a Spanish language commercial on an English language channel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, they get it. And I feel seen. And I think that that's something that's really important when we're doing that type of content creation is that when the fan, the Latino fan, even if I speak fluent English, I see that and I see that they are taking notice and knowing mm-hmm. that just because I speak Spanish doesn't mean that I'm not watching something on an English language channel or on an English language uh, content on, on social media. Like yeah. we, 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 we do it all. Yeah. It's, it's, we do both. It's yeah. interesting. I, I was going to say, um, let's take being Guillen, right? So Ozzy Guillen seeing the show I just mentioned, 
it's fascinating because I think it brings up a point of like, to your point, Jen, to kind of reinforce knowing your audience and knowing where the content's going to run. It gets tricky sometimes because mm-hmm. we can run, we run being Gian, um every week, every Friday, and it runs on our social media platforms. And, but it also runs, you guys cross post it and it runs on Oz and it's in English. Um, and then it runs on, it can run on uh, Ozzy's Twitter account, which has half a million followers. And you look at the comments there and they're all in Spanish where you look at a different platform and it's kind of in English. And so there's a quite a bit of um, understanding of, of not just who the target audience is, but where the content's going to run to then inform, to your point, how to how to bridge that language gap, which we do sometimes, I think, what with we'll do captions, Spanish captions. And, and if there's one thing that I learned early on, which I don't think most white people understand, and that is auto translate or translation buttons suck, right? They're just are oh, yeah. horrible. <laughs> and I think, you know, when you don't know the language, people are like, oh, translate. And everyone that's ever worked at La Vida has been like, if you're going to do Spanish, you need to do it right. You cannot rely on any translation. So I, I would love to get your take on that in terms of um, folks that, that think that if they're hitting the translate button, no matter what they say, uh, how nuanced the challenges are there. Proceed with caution. <laughs> if, if you're using the auto translate or the SAP button on your TV, proceed with caution. Um, I wish I could say that we ran into this problem more than we actually do, but I think we do a really good job with this. Um, to Jen's point, Jay, going back to language and Spanish versus English, I think historically it's it's been a missed opportunity to not identify this demographic. People like myself, um, my family is from Texas. We're Mexican, grew up in a household where we speak predominantly Spanish, but I grew up consuming English media. Mm-hmm. Now, me consuming media in English doesn't mean I'm any less Mexican. Right. It just means that's my, my preference because of my environment. So I think those messages can be relayed in English. I think uh, Spanish, when we think about, you know, um, the scope of Spanish and, and creating content in that vein, we start to think of things too black and white, and we immediately exclude a demographic because we believe that the language is the key to the audience when in fact it's not the language per se it's the content it's Such the, a key the, point. It, it's Such the a intention key point. behind it um and so i do think that we we do that very well now as far as like auto translate and uh you know sap buttons or what have you we'll stick to auto translate they they try they try their best but the reality is again it's it's more than than the language. I mean, we have people who watch Borbora uh, Voz and Diamante or PVD who don't speak Spanish, but what they do know is that these guys are having an absolute blast. And I think those are the sensibilities that we create content with. Yes, the language is super important, but above that, it's the intention behind it that I think our audience really understands. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. It's so a couple more questions, home stretch here for you. I think. I'm curious to get your take on uh, where you see individual Latino major league players as brands in today's sports content ecosystem. How, sophistic- how sophisticated are they as it relates to content? And how do you at LaVita develop relationships with them so that they share and endorse your content? That's Jen right there. 
We introduce them to Jen, Jay. That's how we do it. <laughs> That's what I do. Uh, you do that too, Jesse? I'm like, meet Jen. Um, no, so as, as far as the players being brands, I think that they have become more aware of their brands as as of late. I think that that's something very new that, that we've seen when it comes to baseball in particular. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen it in other sports for a very long time as far as players being their own brand. But when it comes to baseball, uh, we're seeing it more and more. I think that social media has obviously helped with that. And each player is, is, is different. I think there's still this mindset of uh, focus on the game. And if you are actually doing anything outside of the game, some people think that it may be looked down upon, but I do think that that mindset is, is evolving. And especially a lot of the older players are now looking into, okay, how do I create my brand? Because they need to look into things once they retire. Uh-huh. The younger players, they get it. And you, like they, Jennifer, they get, I want to yeah. jump in there. Like Platform-wise, how would you rank today's current major league player we'll start with latino but in general in terms of uh platforms in terms of preferred platforms that they like to leverage their brand on instagram. how would you rank them? instagram for sure is mm-hmm. probably the number one for the latino player uh to use and to grow and engage with fans i think that there are some on twitter but instagram is probably the most uh used platform for, for players, there, there are a few, you know, who go on Twitter and, and like to engage with fans there because Twitter is more conversational. But when it comes to showcasing yourself and who you are and your family, uh, you, you know, some of that personal life, it is Instagram because that is it's a photo album. Right. And and it's it's almost like your daily fo- photo album and fans can come and see what you did yesterday, what you ate, who you were talking to, what you wore. And I would I would say 100% almost that Instagram is the top platform. Very cool. Uh, uh, come, what comes in distance second? Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Facebook. Facebook is not. Uh, yeah. I think that they have those pages, right? But they don't engage with them. Like when Facebook first came out, I, I Instagram has got to be the number one and then Twitter and, and then Facebook. Cool. Uh, you mentioned this before, and one of my favorite things that I saw during the pandemic but, uh, was how you, you said, Jennifer, early on in this interview, how you were able to get these guys, like 30-plus guys in April, to come on Instagram Live and do interviews there on that platform. And one, one of my favorites was Nelson Cruz when you just kind of you just put the camera down in his home and he was just – doing a workout and we just got to like look in on Nelson Cruz in his own house, yeah. just kind of doing it, doing a workout. I'm, I'm curious how you guys are now well steeped in creating daily original content during pandemic. How has it changed your approach to content and, and where do you see it moving forward? Well, I think that because we had no sports, right. Uh, yep. Everyone was struggling to figure out what, what do we post? What do we post? And thankfully the players, became open i mean mm-hmm. they were i had never seen a couple of months how we saw them as far as how open they were with the posting yep. and that was the content that we were repurposing for our own fans so the players you know posting themselves working out a lot of that content did so well on our platforms and and on multiple platforms that i really do i do see that um going forward i see a lot of other uh entities 
kind of following that suit of doing more of covering more of those at home workouts and and what you're doing at the ballpark what kids are doing when it comes to baseball uh and the instagram lives a lot of these players they were doing instagram lives with each other yep and 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 engaging in conversation and just having fun and that's what people want to see and it's what it it's kind of what we've always said about major league baseball as far as what they need to do to allow themselves to grow within the younger fan base is to show personality and instagram allows you to do that it allows you to show showcase your personality so final question for you talking with jennifer mercedes a host and producer at la vida baseball and jesse menendez the managing director of la vida baseball morning musts obviously you you stay on top of baseball so that's a given like so check that off uh, but in reference to staying on top of being a content creator, uh, how are you staying on top of industry trends? What email newsletters do you follow or social media folks? How are you guys learning from folks in the industry? I, I, I personally try to follow individuals who aren't working within the same atmosphere, if that makes any sense. Um, what I mean by that is like sports content creators because if I'm really embracing what I believe La Vida Baseball is, and that is creating for a community of individuals that are open to many different types of threads from entertainment to culture to sports, et cetera, then I want to see how other individuals are reaching those other niche audiences in a way that will allow me to kind of take what I learned, put it in my own toolbox and apply to um, what we do at La Vida Baseball. So a lot of the folks that I follow um, on top of the baseball sites are folks who create content for millennials or younger or, or you know, for cartoon networks, obviously music brands, because I, I do think there are things to be learned at how they approach their given audience um, in a way that can help us do what we do. Yeah, I, I do some of the same as well. Um, follow outside of baseball, but also obviously within within baseball but following the players and and knowing who they are is extremely important for me at least because the more you follow them the more you know kind of the the type of content that they're into and for me in particular because I'm the one conducting interviews. It also allows me to get a better insight into who they are. So when I do conduct an interview, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, I saw you posted, you know, such and such thing the other day. And sometimes, you know, people aren't uh, mainstream journalism, not as aware of Mm -hmm. the social media content and and what they post and kind of the nuances in in, in that and when asking questions and uh, trying to get them to be a little bit more personable. But in, in, also following outside of the players using different outlets to get information like LinkedIn. You may not think LinkedIn uh, or or see LinkedIn as a source for, for -hmm. content creation, but you'd be surprised the type, you know, the amount of groups that that you can be involved in, in there. And sometimes there's just something that pops up and I'm like, Oh, Hey, yeah, you know what? I can use that here or there. So, you know, be open to thinking outside the box. That's how Jen gets the inside scoop. She sees Sergio Romo on LinkedIn is looking for work. She's like, oh, the, the twins let him go. He's the agent. Uh, you can follow Jennifer and Jesse and the entire team at La Vida Baseball. L-A-V-I-D-A. 
baseball, B-A-S-E-B-A-L-L, on all social media platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Come follow us. Come join us. Jesse and Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. Thank Absolute you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.